morning, church. Um, Pastor Ben cut into my time. Did you, I just want to go on record. And I wanted to take time, but I won't because he cut into my time. We need to pray for him. He's going to roller skate today. And I also wanted to just ask you to pray for your pastor. Sometimes it's hard. He loves shepherding the sheep. And sometimes it's harder than most. And sounds like he's got a lot going on. So, Lord bless Pastor Ben. Well, Ben invited us to come. And I'm here with my daughter. And I'll introduce her in just a little bit. And he asked me three things. He said, I want you to share three things. Because I, he invited me to come. And I said, Ben, you got anything in particular, and he said, I want you to share your heart. I I always want to hear your heart. He said, I want you to share the word, and then I want you to share what's going on with Five Rock. So we can do that. So the first thing we're going to talk about is what's on my heart. What's on my heart, I'm the one that founded Five Rock, me and my wife, Christy, and um, what's on my heart all the time is a thing called fatherlessness. How many of you ever think about fatherlessness? Did it dawn on you every now and then? You know, it's, it's so huge in our country, and it's so anti what the Lord had planned that I want to talk about it. So I'm going to give you some facts, because I think a lot of us don't know how big it is. The, um, and I'm scrolling ahead because I got the, I'm ahead of myself already. So I want you to know that the Lord gave us a warning. And uh, he told us to train up our children in the way they should go. So when they get older, what? They won't depart from it. I firmly believe that Satan said, I like that principle. If I train them up in the way they shouldn't go, when they get older, they won't depart from it. And I'm going to be a little sobering this morning when we get started because fatherlessness is huge. Did you know that 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from a fatherless home? 90%. Did you know that 71% of all high school dropouts, 71% of all high school dropouts come from a fatherless home? 75% of all adolescents in a rehab, come from a fatherless home. We know where the drugs are going now. This is one. This one's super important. I mean, did you know that daughters of single moms without a father involved, these will stagger you a little bit, are 53% more likely to marry as a teenager. A daughter in a single mom's home without a father involved is 53% more likely to get married as a teenager. that's a true fact, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers, 164% more likely to have a premarital birth, and they are 92% more likely to get a divorce. Fatherlessness breeds fatherlessness. That's what the statistics show. It's a self-perpetuating thing. And the reason for, um, I also have this, 43%, imagine this, 43% of all children in the United States right now live in a fatherless home. 43%. A statistic that really shocked me is young men under the age of 18 
80% of them live without a dad. It's crazy. 71% of pregnant teenagers don't have a father in their life. So what's on my heart is fatherlessness. And what we talk about at the ranch a lot is how that impacts us. God had a model. It's called family. There's a husband and there's a wife. And that's not real popular these days. It gets politicized. But I'm in church and I'm going to tell the truth. Right? There's a role for a husband and there's a role for a wife. Daughters who are raised in a fatherless... Well, daughters, by the way, learn how to be women from their mom. They learn how to be women from their mom. How many of you ladies, your mom did something like flicked her hair a certain way, drove you crazy, and now you do it? (laughs) It always happens. A, A lady learns how to be a woman from her mom, 40% by the age of four, 80% by the age of eight, and when she hits puberty, she's done. The brain stem, part of our brain, it's a part that doesn't process, it just does, right? It's programmed by the time of adolescence. Do you think that's God's design? Sounds like it, huh? A daughter learns how to give love and receive love from her dad. That's where she's supposed to learn it. That's the model. 40% by the age of four, 80% by the age of eight, done by puberty. A young man learns how to be a man from his dad. 40% by the age of four, 80% by the age of eight, done by puberty. A young man learns how to give love and receive love from his mom. He gets his intimacy from the opposite gender. 40% by the age of four, 80% by the age of eight, done by puberty. Dr. Dobson, many of you know him, Focus on the family. Uh, Amazing, amazing guy. Amazing ministry. His research says that it's all done by the age of five. So what's my point? What's on my heart? Is that fatherlessness is gone rampant in our country and in the world. Some will say that it's, it's the cornerstone to much of our crime. Much of our dismay of what we're faced with. So what does that have to do with Five Rock? Five Rock, we have a laser focus, a laser focus. Our mission that you support is that we are here to restore faith, hope, and love to the fatherless and the floundering through Jesus. We are here to restore faith, hope, and love to the fatherless and the floundering through Jesus. That's what we're all about. So the second thing that Ben asked me to do was share the word. He says, I'd like you to share the word. And I called him because I, I really had a fun story to share that's a part of the ranch. And I bailed out because the Lord told me to do something different. So we're going with something different, mostly because of time. But one of the things we, we deal with at the ranch is this principle. And I want you to think about this. Because I believe someone in this congregation will be blessed by this word. How you view God dictates your walk with God. 
how you view God dictates your walk with God. If you grew up in an addicted home where you had to walk on eggshells because that model of family, that first 12 years, what the Bible calls the formidable years, right? During those 12 years, if you grew up with a dad who was an angry drunk, let's say, you walk on eggshells, you'll tend to put that in your shoes off state onto God. If you grew up in a household where dad was, when you did something wrong, he was really strict and was abusive, you'll tend to think that's God the Father too. Because you've been programmed, Father equals that. If you have an absentee dad, he's not there. He wasn't there. Then guess what? God the Father's not there. So a lot of things that we have to do is Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? It says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present yourself as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that which the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Renewing our mind is so critical. So today I want to do a real quick story, and I've got like seven minutes before I bring my daughter up here, so we're going to do it. So I'm not going to take time to actually read it out of the Word, because I think many of you know it. It has to do with this. How do you view God? How has life tainted maybe how you see God the Father? In Exodus 34, 6, and 7, God says... Remember, he tucked Moses in a rock. And he said, I want you to know who I am. Moses said, I want to see you. He says, well, here's who I am. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. And I abound in love and forgiveness. Compassion means I feel with you. Graciousness says I want to help you for no reason other than I love you. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad. And I abound, I overflow with love, and I overflow with forgiveness. So the story that I wanted to share today is the prodigal son. How many of you here have heard and read the prodigal son? Okay. Luke 15, we're going to start in about verse 11. We're going to go to 24, but I'm not going to go through the word because Pastor Ben took all my time. Here's the story. You can check me if you like later on. There's two sons with a father. The youngest son says, I don't care if you're alive. I'm going to pretend you're dead. You don't matter anymore. Give me what's mine. I'm going to take it. He was the youngest son, so that meant he got a third of the estate. What did the father do? Gave it to him. I want you to pay attention to the father. So he he gives it to him. What does the son do? The son goes and he squanders it. He goes to a foreign land. He squanders it. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. A lot like today. A lot like a lot of us sometimes. And he squanders it. Prodigal simply means huge waste. Like extravagantly wasteful. That's what the word prodigal means. So the son goes and he squanders everything. And there's a famine. And then he gets a job in a pig farm. 
Not a good job for a Jewish boy. They don't eat pork. And he's eating what the pigs are eating. So he's at the lowest of low. What happens? He comes to himself. He comes back into his right mind. He has an aha moment. Aha to us means awareness, honesty, and action. Right? So he comes to this place where he says, even my dad's servants live better than I do. My plan didn't work. My plan didn't work. So when he starts going back, he rehearses in his mind what he's going to say to his dad. He's walking to his dad and he says, man, dad, I did wrong. And two times, I don't know if you noticed this in the story, he says, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. So he takes the place of a worker. So he's going back dejected and saying, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. I've blown it too much. So he gets there, and this is the part I want to focus on and pay attention. And I got five minutes. What happens? Let's look at the dad. While he was afar off, it doesn't say this, but I think he threw open the screen door. But while he was afar off, the father runs to meet him. The father runs to meet him. I need to tell you a little bit. This is where it gets a little preachy. In the Jewish culture, that would have been undignified. He would have had to hike his robe up and take off running. That was undignified for him to do. But I think there's a reason for it. What's the first thing he does to the son? He hugs him and kisses him on the neck. I'm going to suggest to you that that was more than affection. It was protection. What was the Jewish law? He should be stoned to death. A rebellious son should have been stoned to death. I think that's why he was running. I think that he was running out to protect him and to show him affection. What's the second thing he does? He gives him the best robe. What does robe mean in the Jewish culture? Remember all the colors, all the different weaving, how they're woven and everything? Because that's their identity. It identifies them with their family. It identifies them with their tribe, where they're from. So he gives them his identity back. So protection and affection. He runs out and he gives their identity back. And then he puts a ring on their finger. What does the ring mean? Hmm? Authority. It's a signet ring. Right? So the father, remember this guy took everything and wasted it. Right away he says, no. Re-identify you with me. I'm going to give you your authority. And then the last thing he does is he puts sandals on his feet. What does that represent? Only slaves went barefoot. Only slaves went barefoot. Huge symbolism. The father runs to meet him to protect him, give him affection, give him his identity back, give him his authority back, and you're my son, your family. You're not going to work for me. And he throws a party. And he celebrates. How many of you see God the Father that way? How many of you see that that's, he's running out to meet you? He's running out to protect you. He's running to you to be affectionate. He, the song that we had, he loves us so much. 
He says, I, you have my identity. We wear the robe of righteousness. We have the authority and the power of Jesus. And we've been adopted into the family. That's the New Testament gospel. Who's telling the story? The third son. <laughs> Jesus. This is a story tell, being told by Jesus about his father. The Bible's really clear. Nobody knows the father except the son. And he uses this illustration. At Five Rock Ranch, um, I pulled that off. I got two minutes. At Five Rock Ranch, one of the most difficult jobs we have is changing the view of God the Father because we deal with fatherless people. God was either mean, Dad was either mean, Dad was either absent, we're not bashing men, by the way. Love men. We do stuff for men. That's a different, you'll have to ask me back for that part. But I'm just telling you, with a single mom, single moms are heroes. Wasn't meant to be that way. But how you view God the Father dictates your walk with God the Father. And that's really the only word I have for you today that I wanted to share with you. That's what Five Rock does. We immerse single moms, ladies, and men into a situation where they can learn that that's, that's who God the Father is. And much, much more, but that's what we had time for this morning. So I want to introduce my daughter, who is the director of women's ministry. I call her Shay Shay, but I have to introduce her as Shay, and it's short for Cheyenne. And um, I've asked Shay really simple questions one, what did God do in your life? And now what is God doing through your life? Awesome. Well, good morning. Um, my dad always tells a story about a diamond, right? And what makes a diamond shine in all its brilliance? It's what you put behind it, and it's the black velvet. So I am going to take a few minutes to share a very little bit, I have a lot more to tell you, but little time um, of my testimony of my past and um, where I'm at today. So um, as a child, uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, I'm a little emotional this morning, so hang tight. <laughs> um, grew up in an alcoholic home. My parents were separated at the age of eight. Um, I was a big daddy's girl, and my dad was my hero. And his alcoholism didn't bother me. <laughs> it bothered everybody else in the family, but not me. I couldn't understand why alcohol was a problem. Um, my mom thought she was saving us, and she packed us up and moved us to Oregon at the age of 12 and separated uh, me and my brother from my dad. And um, I was devastated. And that was the turning point of my life where I decided that um, I really didn't care about anything, and I was going to rebel uh, and live life the way I wanted to. And I think in the back of my mind, thinking I was going to get back at my mom for, for taking me away from my dad. So long story short, at the age of 12, I started um, doing drugs, um, sexually promiscuous, anything that I could do to cope with life and how hard it was. Um, Fast forward, um, had 
uh, a horrible uh, trauma my freshman year of high school. I'd had three abortions by my senior year. I had my daughter, um, who is now 20, almost 23, uh, my senior year of high school. And life just continued to unravel. Um, I got addicted to opiates um, right after she was born. I had a 20-year uh, addiction from that point on of opiates, heroin, and fentanyl. Um, lots of lots of brokenness in that 20-year time period. Um, I had lost my daughter. She went to live with her dad. Um, I was in and out of jail. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't ever get clean or stay clean, and I didn't really desire um, to get clean uh, for myself because I didn't think that I could live life sober. And so in 2017, well, 2015 was the first time I got in trouble with the law. Somehow I had been able to slide under the radar, never get caught, and um, it all came to a head in 2015. Um, so 2015 to 2017 were... Um, the very worst years. It was 107 pounds. I was living in a trap house in and out of jail um, and uh, suicidal, and I tried to kill myself several times. Um, by the grace of God, I'm still here. <laughs> um, uh, so 2017, um, mind you, this whole time I'm going in and out of jail, the judge has uh, had enough with me. He told me I was the worst person he ever worked with, and his entire career. Um, we still laugh about that. Um, but in 2017, I had the option, and he said, you're going to prison, or are you going to Five Rock Ranch? And I said, well, I'm not going to Jesus Camp. So um, I have bigger problems and bigger issues. Uh, Jesus is, <laughs> is not going to help me. That might be for you, but it's not for me. Um, and uh, lo and behold, um, they, and they'd been talking, my probation officer courts have been telling me for a year, like, go, you know, go to Five Rock, and I didn't want to go to Jesus Camp. Um, but in April, it's actually almost this week, six years ago, and um, I was in a cell with a gal who had actually had a lot of problems with on the streets, and of course, God's plan's always so funny, and she's the person who led me to the Lord. And she made me make her a promise that when I got out of jail, I would call Five Rock Ranch. And she's like, if you don't like what they have to say, hang up the phone. Like, they're not going to come looking for you. <laughs> it's just try, just see. And I made her that promise. I got out of jail, spare you all the details, made a phone call to Five Rock Ranch. And Christy picked up the phone and said, oh, where are you at? I'll come right now. And I'm thinking, wait a second. The judge told me I had seven days. <laughs> you got seven days. You better be at Five Rock or you're going to prison. Like, there's no other options. And I was like, well, do we, okay, well, do you have to come right now? Like, can we, <laughs> you know, wait a few days? But I knew also in the back of my head that if I waited even five minutes, I was never going to go. So she came and picked me up. And I still remember, to the, it's funny because I'll tell you the other part of the story at the end, but I remember her talking and she's like, uh, yeah, I think she's too much. I don't think she should be at the ranch. I think we need to find her somewhere else to be. Like, she needs help. Um, and there, were, there was nowhere else for me to go. Nobody had open beds, nobody, but again, God's plan, right? 
I was right where I was supposed to be. Um, so I showed up, got out of jail, showed up on my birthday on May 2nd, and um, God got a hold of me really quick. Um, the first year I did the journey program, which we have at the ranch, was a, which is a one-year, um, again, that, that immersion in, you know, come, let us teach you who Jesus is, personally and practically, who you are and who, what your identity is in Christ so that you can walk with him. And so I spent the first year doing that. At the end of the first year, I decided I was adamant I was not staying at the ranch. God had given me, uh, you know, a, like a word. He told me my calling was missions, and I said, great, I'm going to Ecuador. <laughs> I'm going anywhere but here. I didn't want to face my problems. I didn't want to face any of my stuff. And God let me go and brought me right back home because he told me these are not, this is not the girls I want you working with. Go home. Like, I want you in your own sandbox. And I didn't want to be in Yamho County. Every police officer knew me. My house had been raided twice. I was in and out of jail. I didn't want to face all the people I'd hurt. Um, I didn't want to be there. And God was really clear, and he said, I want you in your sandbox because people knew who you were, and they're going to know who I am by watching you. And he's going he's gonna to be glorified in it. And so I begrudgingly said, okay, God, you got one year. <laughs> I will go back to the ranch, and I will serve for one year. That's it. And he totally changed my heart. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me to work with women who are going through a lot of the same things I had been through, the same walks in life, the same hurts, the same traumas, and to show them through Jesus there's a better way to live life. And uh, I remember my dad picking me up from the airport, and I'm like, Dad, I think God told me I'm supposed to be the women's ministry leader. And he's like, yeah, we know, but we're waiting for you to listen to him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, 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 I can embrace this. So through that, God has, for the last five years, um, I have... Uh, my dad has raised me up, and I'm now the women's ministry director, and I lead all the women's ministry, family ministry, and children at the ranch. Um, God has uh, done so many, so many things through that as well in leading these women, living life with these women, but I also, he has opened up, uh, again, lots of details, but the short version, um, doors where I go into the jail and I mentor girls in our county, in our jail, um, I wore, have worked side by side with the judge who hated me, and um, that's an ironic, undeniably God story too. And God's like, just go to the courthouse and tell him you want to work with him. And I'm like, God, he hates me. <laughs> There's no way that's gonna happen. And I, through three different times, in a holy, undeniably God story, the third time he looked at me and he said, okay, let's do this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> And he's like, why are you here? I'm like, God told me to come here and talk to you. I don't know. <laughs> um, but again, all of that through your trash to treasure, right? And all the things that God can do with the brokenness. Um, my family's been restored. Um, Scott and Christy are my parents. They legally adopted me um, four years. I think it's four years now. Um, and I realized my entire life that's all I had searched for. It's the only thing I wanted was to find love, to be loved, and to have family. And 
through obedience and willingness and doing the really hard things that God asks you to do in the process, uh, surrender and submission, (laughs) um, he makes it beautiful. And he has, you know, taken everything I knew in the past to do, and he's like, no, actually, you're going to work for me now and using my, you know, my only qualification is him (laughs) and the brokenness that, you know, from my past that he's used to walk life with these women. And it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's messy, (laughs) and it brings me so much joy. And um, so you guys, I know, get to be part of that and see as you come on these mission trips or financially helping Um, lives are being restored, and these kiddos, I've got um, two moms right now who, uh, one of them, her little boy is seven, and he's not lived most of his life with his mom. He's been in foster care, and he's been in and out of very similar circumstances of my past, and mom's been at the ranch for nine months, and they've been fully restored. DHS in and out of her, the child's entire life, and they're now like, wow, can, can we share your newsletter that has her testimony with our other clients? Because she went from being our worst client to like superstar, and it's all because of Jesus, because she said, okay, I'm going to go to Jesus camp, <laughs> Lord, and I'm going to die to myself and learn to live life with you, who you created me to be, because if we don't believe our identity in Christ and who he created us to be, we're never going to walk it out. And if we believe (laughs) that God is this angry, punishing God or this absent God, it's really hard to believe that I am a cherished daughter of the king or that, you know, I am his workmanship. I know whatever it is my identity is, it's really hard to believe that if we don't believe who he is. And so that's the whole goal of the ranch is come and live with us. I tell people, come live with my family. Like, come and join us and let us show you the way to live with Jesus. And as we walk through that, the healing comes from him. Um, We talked about journey. I have a couple minutes, so I'm going to tell you about journey. Um, So the women, huh? Okay. (laughs) Everybody will start leaving now. So journey is um, biblical-based teaching. So right now what it looks like is the moms are homeschooling half the day, and then they're in class with me half the other half of the day. And just that, like my mission in them is I want to teach you who Jesus is personally and practically. Yes, he's holy, but he also loves you, and he's your friend, and who you are in Christ and then it follows up with that in piece of so that you can abide in him. And then teaching our moms through parenting and biblical-based parenting, how do you disciple your children? How do you pass on what you're learning to them? And it's a family atmosphere. Um, so I think that's it. So thank you guys for letting us share and listening and uh, to our undeniably God stuff. <laughs> So what is the, what's the ranch in a nutshell? Thank you, Shay Shay. I'm so proud of her. Can I just get an applause for her? Um, we forget to introduce ourselves as adopted because um, we're like biological. It, it's an amazing thing. And our family has just embraced her and as if we've had her all of her life. And it's a beautiful thing. 
But thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. And um, what I'm proud of is her, her obedience and her courage. The mission, we're a domestic mission. So um, one of the things I did want to say um, and take the last two minutes is um, we're not a program. We're a, we're a mission. Well, we're a place. Five Rock Ranch is just a place. And we say undeniably God because you just got to hear from an, an undeniably God story. What else could her story be? And that's why it's great that I just said, hey, just tell your story. But who she was talking about is someone that fentanyl didn't kill. And she worked with DHS quite a while. And so now we got a clean mom. We have a mom that loves Jesus. We have a mom that's transformed. We have a son that's re- now restored. Now also the mom and dad, because when you're an addict, you really just blow up a lot of bridges. And those are all being restored. Shay having walked that life, who better for God to equip to be the shepherd in that life, right? So that's, we're just a mission. We're a domestic mission where people come and they, the average time with us is one to three years. So people come and they live there for free. There's no obligation for them whatsoever. Um, we're based on the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. So in the, if you think about that, when the, when the Jews, everything got destroyed and they had to leave, and um, they came back, but not everybody came. It's not for everybody. Not everybody made the 850-mile journey in the Bible. But the ones that did said, I, I want to come back and restore the temple, restore the, the worship place. And then the Nehemiah is another day, but that's just the wall being rebuilt, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's the model that we, we have. People come and live there. And they're restored to him and renewed in him. And they're established when they leave to walk with him. So that's what we are. Ben? I I just have a word for Shay. Two words. If you ever want to go to Ecuador... We support a mission down there. You just saw it. Next time we go, you're going with us, okay? All right. We'll take you down there. We'll introduce you to the, to the greatest place on earth and, and feed you some really good food. Secondly, second, yes, oh, two weeks. We'll just, stay, just give her to us for two weeks. God will work on your heart, brother. One of the things that I say quite often, and you've heard it from me many times, is God always redeems your pain. He, anything you go through, you may think, oh, I'm over here, I'm in sin, and it's terrible, and, I, and, I, and, and you know, God takes all of that and he redeems it. He redeems the years that the locust has taken. And that's what he's done for you. And I, I just thank the Lord that you're there, that, you know, sharing that. Because a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, okay, God restored my life. Now I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do all these great things. But you're investing that back in. So thank you. Thank you for that. Five Rock is uh, undeniably God. And if you want to hear, so, so second service, we don't have the time limit we have in first service. So you guys can just unload. 
If you want to hear the rest of the story, you guys stick around for second service. But, uh, you know, if we look at what God does, I mean, Scott's story of what, how God worked in him to say, sell it all, all that you thought that the world needed to give you, sell it all, and go run this ranch. And God says, look at the blessings. Look how rich you are with what I've given you. Undeniably God. Yeah. Okay. Why, why, why the name Five Rock? So you go, go ahead, stand up and tell now? it. Can we turn it back on? Okay. Um, yeah. We were called Rugged Cross Ranch because the Lord always gave me that. But I went, Luis Palau asked me to speak at a thing uh, right when we got started. And anyway, long story short, uh, a guy got up and was telling a story of David and Goliath. And he says, and his name's Greg Steer. If you ever heard Greg Steer, he's a pretty passionate youth guy. He says, you know, David picked up five rocks, but he only needed one. And I had like an epiphany. I knew exactly what it meant. It was Five Rock Ranch. And the reason it's not Five Rocks Ranch, it's Five Rock Ranch, is because David picked up five rocks, but he only needed one. And our rock, our giant is fatherlessness, and our rock is our father's love. So it's after David and Goliath and the five rocks. 